0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network.
1: You're listening to episode 303 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Molly Strube is a lead site reliability engineer at Dev, the company that runs the blogging website Dev.2. During her time working in the software industry, she has had the opportunity to work on some challenging problems. These include scaling Elasticsearch, sharding MySQL databases, and creating an infrastructure that can grow as fast as a boomerang business. When not making systems run faster, she can be found fulfilling her need for speed by riding and jumping her show horses. Welcome to the podcast, Molly. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. As am I. So Molly, what is your developer origin story?
0: So I kind of have a little bit of a roundabout story. Um, I started coding when I was in high school and then ended up going to college. And when I got to college, I actually thought, you know what, I'm gonna be a software engineer. My dad was an electrical engineer and it kind of, it felt, it felt right. So I enrolled in the software engineering 101 class basically. And as I'm taking this class, I have a neighbor and he's taking the intro to aerospace class and every day he comes running over and he goes, guess what we get to build? We get to build a rocket or we get to build a parachute. And I kind of thought to myself, wow, that sounds way more exciting than typing on a keyboard. So I ended up switching into the aerospace class. I got a degree in aerospace engineering, which I would not trade for anything. It was so much fun. Um, But then from there, I actually went into the family business of trading options on the stock market. So I did that for two years. And as I was doing that, all of that exciting stuff was going on in Silicon Valley. Facebook was starting, Instagram, Twitter, all those companies were really just getting going. And I looked at that and I said, wow, they're really building stuff that's changing how we interact with each other. And That sounds way more exciting than betting which way the stock market's going to move. So I quit my job, which was a pretty bold move considering it was the family business. I was basically guaranteed a job for the rest of my life. And I spent three months teaching myself web development with the Michael Hartle tutorial. And basically that's kind of what got it all going. I got an internship after that at a small startup and kind of the rest is history.
1: That is an incredible story and so exciting that you got started with the hurdle tutorial. I think a lot of listeners are going to relate to that story a lot. So Molly, you are our first site reliability engineer on the show, which is really exciting. Can
0: you actually unpack what that role entails? Definitely. So a site reliability engineer, which you may also hear as referred to SRE. My opinion is my definition, because there's a lot of different definitions, and it really kind of depends on what company you're at. My definition of a site reliability engineer is a developer whose primary focus is on the reliability, stability, and scalability of a website. It's also a developer that kind of has the ability to really step back and take a look at the big picture at like the overall architecture of a website. So a lot of times as a software engineer, you're just kind of, you're in there and you're getting a feature built and you might be in a controller or you might be in a model. You're in a little piece of code and you're just focused on that piece of code. As a site reliability engineer, my job is to step back and look at how all the code pieces fit together and then how they interact with all of the other pieces of the infrastructure, databases, servers, things like that. And so you kind of have to have that ability to really get that, that big picture in order to help you do your job. Another thing that I think is also super helpful to anyone in the SRE field is a lot of us have some sort of additional knowledge past just web development or past just coding. For example, some SREs are really good with certain databases. I happen to be really good with Elasticsearch and Redis, those are kind of my strengths. Um, other SREs might be have you know strengths on the operation side, working with Linux or some other operating systems. So I think kind of that Overall, you know, the site reliability engineer is a developer, but with just a little bit of extra kind of knowledge and perspective on top.
1: Do you find yourself in the code base a lot or are there other tools that you're utilizing in order to know whether or not the code is, you know, really able to take load, handle performance? What does a day in the life look for you?
0: Yeah, so that's a great question. I am in the code base a lot. Uh, especially at my new job at Dev, um, we're really just kind of getting going with site reliability, and so a lot of that means making the code reliable and stable. Uh, once you get kind of past that point of getting the code in a reliable, stable you know, place, then you kind of, you look at things like the databases, infrastructure, et cetera. Um, But in terms of determining whether something's reliable, whether it's scalable, et cetera, you definitely have to set up a good monitoring infrastructure around it. And so that's honestly one of the big projects I'm working on at Dev, is setting up a monitoring infrastructure so I can get a clear picture of what the application is doing. What happens when we get a big surge of traffic? What happens when we run this job and it kicks off a ton of other jobs? How does that affect the database? So if you don't have those monitoring tools, then as an SRE, it's it's really hard to do your job because you can make a guess at what you think is gonna add to the performance or improve performance, but unless you really close that feedback loop and get that feedback that says, okay, this is improving performance, it's, it makes it very hard to do your job. So monitoring is definitely a, a big part of, of my day-to-day and, and what I'm currently setting up at, at Dev, which is, it's pretty exciting because once you get it all set together, the, the insights you can get from it are, are, in my opinion, very exciting to see.
1: So you already offered some excellent advice where you said that a lot of SREs have a specialization, whether it be Elasticsearch and Redis like yourself, maybe it's hosting DevOps, anything like that. Um, If any of our listeners would be interested in a career path into site reliability, what do you recommend they take as their first step?
0: So what I like to tell people who are interested in SRE is become a developer first. Spend a couple years really honing your coding skills, your software development skills, and getting familiar with different databases. Like I said, my definition of an SRE is a developer who's got a little bit more on top, the big perspective, the you know possible specialization in a database, etc. So because of that, the way I view an SRE, I think you really have to have the solid foundation of coding before you can move into an SRE focused role. So I think it's good for people who want to do SRE, start as a back-end dev and really just get familiar with the technologies, get familiar with coding and then, after a couple of years of that, really laying that solid foundation, then shift towards you know something more SRE uh, focused.
1: That's great advice. So you've mentioned your work at Dev a little bit, but I'm actually fascinated with Dev. Two as a whole and Dev as a company. Can you explain the product and the business model?
0: Oh yes, Dev. So many, so many good things about Dev. Um, so Dev.2 is an inclusive community Driven technical blogging platform is kind of how I like to describe it. So you can think of it as like medium but with the focus on Technical topics and with an actual community of people who actually support and challenge each other in constructive ways and I know that almost sounds way too good to be true but that is honestly what we're building and that is the goal is to keep it as kind of as supportive and as it is now when we scale it. And so that's that's one of our biggest challenges is really we have this really solid community right now and we really wanna keep it that way as we grow. And I think that's one of the things that sets Dev.2 apart from other companies such as medium or, you know, other social platforms such as Twitter, you don't get that supportive, inclusive community on those platforms. It's a lot of people kind of, you know, going at each other, sometimes there's harassment, sometimes there's just, there's just things that are not, you know, great for community environment. And so at Dev.2, we do a lot of work. We've got uh, moderators and people who, you know, really stay on top of the site to make sure any harmful content is is taken down immediately and addressed and anyone who tries to be harmful to our users um, is dealt with and so that's that's what dev.2 is it's, it's really a super solid community um, of bloggers and as we've grown the amount of technical information Within you know our blogs and the content has really started to grow too, and so I think one of the most exciting things for me is when I will Google a question, such as you know a Ruby question, and the first Google search result is a Dev.to blog post. So when that happens, I'm like, yes, we've arrived. Like we're really we're getting there. So um, that's that's kind of that's what we're building. That's
1: fantastic. So how is the company fa- uh, funded? Is it bootstrapped? Is it financed? Is there subscriptions? How does it exist as a company?
0: Yeah, so right now we've got investors and they share the same vision as us, which is really that the users come first. And so we're still kind of working on, okay, how then do we develop uh, a profitable model around that? One way is we have sponsorships um, through companies and they have sponsored content on the website another way is our entire platform is open sourced which is kind of one of the unique things so literally anyone could take the dev.tube codebase and spin up their own community whether it be for bike riding or running or some other you know sport or you know maybe people who like science fiction so when someone does that one thought is possibly in the future, we help support that, or we help them stand up those new communities. We stand it up possibly for, you know, maybe Microsoft. They want their own internal blogging community. You know, we help them stand that up. So those are kind of the ideas. One thing we really don't want to do is we we don't want to put those paywalls in place. We really don't want to restrict people from getting this kind of informational and educational content. And so that's that's something we're focused on. so that's why we're kind of looking for very different ways to, you know, finance and fund and, and drive profit in this business while, you know, we grow the community. I feel
1: like every time I interact with DevDot2, it's very clear that the company is looking to see what works with both Medium and Stack Overflow. And it just has such a friendly and open vibe. And I just love everything that you stand for.
0: Excellent. I, I Hearing that, I love that. And that's, that's like, oh, that just makes it all worth it when I hear that.
1: That's awesome. So one of my favorite questions to always ask, and you mentioned it's open source, what is the technical stack of Dev.2?
0: Yeah, so we're pretty simple at this point, still very small. We're a single Rails app. Uh, We run on Heroku. So and then with that Rails app, we use Postgres, We use Redis, which is pretty exciting because we recently moved to that. That was one of the first projects that I did as I moved us from Memcache to Redis. So absolutely loving Redis right now. And then we've got Algolia for our backend search, which is a paid service. And so we're looking to move off of Algolia in the future, very near future, hopefully, to an open source solution like Elasticsearch, which will really give us a lot of more control over search and improve it for our users. And plus, you know, we're kind of, we're all about open source. So, and then with that, we also use... Datadog and Honeycomb for our monitoring tools. So those have been like I said I'm I'm hooking in the process of hooking those up right now and that's, you know, that's kind of where we're at with the stack.
1: That's great. And I we've recently talked on a recent episode where uh, Nick, my co host, talked about how he stood up a Dev.2 instance and how easy it was and how great the documentation was. So, listeners, if you have not checked out the open source uh, library, I will definitely share that in the show notes. Please do check it out because it's a wonderful code base. So, you definitely want to check
0: that out. Yeah. And one other thing that, you know, because we're open source, if any listeners are ever you know trying to kind of get their foot wet into open source or you want maybe to try try your hand at something because it's just a general rails platform it's not you know it's not a gem we do have those little easy bugs that need fixing we've got little things like that so if, if anyone's ever looking for a good way to get into open source Check out the repo and and check out the issues. We we have ones that are labeled good first issue, and they're usually just little couple line fixes that we need done, but we just we just don't have the time or haven't prioritized them. Um, so and that's that's one thing that I, I really love about working with an open source, you know, on an open source project. This is my first time ever working on one, is that you really get to meet and help you know, build up others as they contribute to the platform. And so that's, that's been a lot of fun and really personally for me rewarding because I I like mentoring, I like teaching. That's kind of something I like to do. And so now it's really, you know, in my job a a lot.
1: That's so great. So um, from what I understand, Dev as a company is entirely remote, correct? Yes. Awesome. So do you have any advice on remote working?
0: So I have been full remote now for, what, three months. Prior to even joining Dev, I was actually at a company that allowed me to work remote for three months out of the year. And one thing I have to say is I like being at a fully remote company better because you never feel like you're missing out because everyone is this full remote. Some of the things that I find really help um Help me be successful at it. Is I I like routine, and so I have my routine. I get up, I go jogging in the morning, I take a shower, I get dressed. Now my clothes are probably a little bit more comfy than you know someone else, but I'm not staying in my pajamas. I'm actually you know getting up and starting my day as if I was going to go leave the house, but I don't. <laughs> and then in addition to that, and I I kind of I joked about this on Twitter at one point. Um, it's really helpful to actually have dogs so i have two dogs and they force me to get out of the house so i'd have to say if you don't have dogs go out and like get a walk midday it's really easy when you're not commuting to just kind of like stay in your house and then like you end up in your house all day and you're like I don't even know what the weather's like outside because I haven't been outside. So <laughs> I think something, you know, it, it's good is if you if you don't have, you know, dogs or something, find an excuse to just like go out and take a walk. Lunchtime, you know, one of the ways I kind of end my day because it's, it can be very easy when you're working remote to just be like, oh, I'm gonna pick up my laptop and go sit on the couch. And then you're working on the couch until 8, 9 p.m. Oh, and you're still working. So the way I make sure to kind of like draw that line is usually around 5, you know, 5.30 is when I feed my dogs. And so I feed the dogs and then I go and I walk them. And after that's like my this is the end of my day, you know, for all intents and purposes, that's it's basically I've left my office and then now we're done with work. So I think, you know, you got to make sure you have those those kind of barriers Remote work is very flexible, but sometimes I think it can kind of encourage, um, an unhealthy, you know, working unhealthy hours because it's so flexible and easy. You just are like, you just pick up the laptop and you're working. Um, another thing that is super helpful with remote work and that Dev does really well is making sure Slack is considered asynchronous. And so what I mean by that is when I was working at my previous company, when you worked remote, you were kind of ex- expected to still reply immediately on Slack. And I think that made it very stressful because you literally had to be like, hey, I'm going to walk my dog for 10 minutes. You know, you're not you're not going to be away from your computer that long. If you're in the office and you go for a 10 minute walk, you don't have to update everyone on that status but you were expected to when you worked remote. And so that made it pretty stressful. So at Dev, Slack is considered asynchronous. So we, basically if you step away and someone asks you a question, they're not expecting an immediate response. They're expecting you to get back to them, you know, usually I think within a half an hour, hour, unless you have a status set. And so that's the other thing is communicating your status. So for example, currently, I am down in Florida and I'm down here because I'm riding horses. And so sometimes during the day, I will step away to go ride a horse for an hour. And so I literally, I have my status. I put up the little horse head and it says riding ponies and everyone knows, okay, Molly's riding right now. I can ask her a question, but she's probably not going to get back to me for a little bit. And so being very aware and setting those statuses, you know, it it allows people to just kind of like know what's going on. and then like I said, you just got to keep it asynchronous. You can't you can't expect people to be available immediately unless there's an emergency situation. You know, you got to you got to give them some time. And that's just it's it's the same as if you were, you know, in an office and you looked over and you're like, "Where is my coworker at their desk?" You're not going to go hound them, start shouting their name. You're going to you're going to wait. You're going to wait until they're back. And so it's it's kind of the same thing in Slack. So,
1: first off, I love that advice, but second off, it's going to be really hard for me not to name the episode Status Riding Ponies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm all for that.
1: But that is some really good advice and I completely agree because certainly if you were to use the restroom at work, you're not going to put that up as a status mm-hmm. so exactly. <laughs> or if you're making a cup of coffee. And often when I find myself being remote, I felt like I needed to announce that I was going to make a cup of coffee, but that is certainly not something I would do in the office. So that is a very good point. And I completely agree that Slack should be asynchronous. You should not be tethered to it. That can lead to some really bad habits for sure. So let's talk a little bit about your adoration of Elasticsearch. I should first explain that I have also made the pivot to Elasticsearch, so I'm team Elasticsearch. When I started at my job, we were currently using Google Site Search, which was deprecated, and so we needed to move to a different search solution. I had used Elasticsearch in the past and basically hand-rolled custom version of Elasticsearch for the stack and so far it's been great it took some definite setup at first to get going (laughs) but now we're very quite happy with it and it's ours so yeah you know that that's a big part of it so why do you enjoy working with Elasticsearch
0: yeah so when you originally you know wrote that question down and you said adoration I was like whoo that's that's a pretty aggressive word right there (laughs) because I would try kind to of describe it as more of a love-hate relationship with Elasticsearch. Um, but no, honestly, I do, I really enjoy working with it. And I think I really enjoy it at this point because I have such a comprehensive understanding of how it works and what's going on, you know, underneath the hood. I like to tell people a lot, Elasticsearch is one of those tools that is really easy to get started with as a database, you can throw some data into it and it's gonna do basically anything you want super fast. The challenges come when you're scaling it. And so, you know, I was the same way. We've had some data in it. Oh, this is is so great, it works. We're just gonna keep throwing data into it. And then as we scaled, we started running into all these problems. And at that point, you really have to understand what it's doing. And so now that I have that understanding of how it works, I just, feel very in control and I know how to architect it in a way to like do whatever I want and so I think it's it's a fantastic tool they have constantly been adding and improving it and the you know I've I've had lots of one-on-one interactions with the engineers at Elastic and they're all super awesome super helpful people um, but yeah just the the fact that I have a really good comprehensive understanding of it is why it's one of the tools that I really enjoy working with
1: I agree. I have a much stronger appreciation for it now that I've been in the weeds of it. Yeah, and you know, (laughs) I implemented it in Elasticsearch five, and just seeing Mm. all my tests break once we upgrade to six is a little disheartening. But I understand that I need to put the work in.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And then I think you know, every time we've had, at least in my you know my experience, every time we've had Elasticsearch upgrades. You get big things out of it. You get big performance gains. You get nice new features. And I think having a, you know, software that's constantly moving forward like that is, is really exciting. It makes you want to work with it because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of software out there that just kind of is, is stagnant and it's just, it's just not really going anywhere. There's nothing news come out in the last like two, three, four years. Um, so the fact that it's one of those, you know, pieces of software that keeps pushing the boundaries is, is awesome
1: completely agreed. So the listeners know this, but for a pattern in 2020, the next question is something that I'm going to be keep asking. And especially because you and I met at RubyConf last year. So I'd love to know, Molly, what are your thoughts on the Ruby community's future?
0: Oh my God. I So I love the Ruby, the Ruby community so much. And I think that Matt's has done a phenomenal job. Just like you know, like I just said for Elasticsearch, at continuing to move the technology and the language forward um, in such a way that it, it doesn't feel like it's getting stale. Um, it's constantly progressing, and I think you know that used to be that old adage like, "Oh, Ruby's so slow," and I think they're really turning that on their head and saying like, "No, no, it's not. Like we're you know we can construct this language to basically do whatever you want." Um, and I think that the fact that it's getting used for more and more things, and maybe that's because I'm more experienced, but it felt like at the beginning, it was like, there's Ruby and then there's Rails and they go together. And that's what a lot of people do. But I feel like in the past couple of years, you see a lot of people just using pure Ruby for all different, you know, applications. And I think that is, is really exciting. And, you know, to top it off, like I said, I love the community, and I feel like the community has continued to I don't, to just be as welcoming a, as ever. Um, the first conference I ever went to was RubyConf, um, not 2019, but 2018. That was first first conference ever. I, you know, I had been in the industry for six years, so I'm thinking to myself, "Wow, I am like." really behind I got tips from another like I was actually mentoring someone who gave me tips on how to basically go to a conference because I had never been and so I was pretty nervous but talk about a con like the first conference to go to like it was the best experience I gave my first talk ever everyone was super welcoming and I think that really kind of solidified the community in my mind is you know wow I can go to this conference having never been to one and I, you know, you would have never known the difference. So,
1: yes, I agree. The, the future is certainly bright. So lastly, I'd love to end it on a fun note. You are one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. You are incredibly witty and creative. So where do you get all the ideas for the content that you post?
0: So honestly, the content is literally from my everyday experiences. So something Something stupid will happen, like I'll blow up production, or I'll spend an hour trying to find a bug that ends up being some stupid typo. And I feel like that's a lot of stuff people can relate to. And so honestly, I'm just like, I'm just going to share this with everybody. And, you know, and it's, it's a lot of fun seeing, like, I'm not the only one. And sometimes you kind of feel like that as you kind of you're, we're all kind of in our own world, you know, being a developer, a lot of times is very individual, you know, profession. And so I think sometimes when things happen, you run into bugs, or you're struggling, you can kind of feel like alone in that. And I find that by sharing it on Twitter, it's like, you can kind of like, step back and just one share with people and then laugh about it. Which I think is huge. Life is life is so short. You you got to be able to laugh at yourself, in my opinion. And that also leads me to the fact that in my position now, being a lead site reliability engineer, I feel like you know a lot of people look up to me, and it's my job to you know not just teach and mentor others, but also kind of show and expose that those of us who are leads those of us who are seniors we're just as human as everyone else like we're out there making mistakes we're out there pushing bugs and taking down production and i feel like that is really key because when you're new to this industry and you're looking up and you know you idolize those people but at the same time you've got to realize like they are just human. Like there's nothing, you know, there's nothing super special about them. They go through the same struggles. They might be able to fix that bug faster, you know, than someone who's brand new, but at the same time, they're kind of just struggling at, you know, at it the same way. And so I think by sharing those experiences, I hope that that kind of gets, it kind of cuts through that, that hero worship, which I absolutely hate. Um, you know, that's kind of one of the big things I've been trying to champion is like, hey, don't put people on a pedestal. Like, like we're all in it together.
1: That's so great. I completely agree with you. I love all of that advice. And listeners, you're definitely going to want to give her a follow. And I'll be sure to have all of that in the show notes. So speaking of, I just led right into it. How can listeners follow you and Dev.2?
0: Yeah, so Dev.2, I'm Molly underscore Struvee. So you can just go to my page, uh, you'll see all the blog posts, you know, feel free to sign up, then you can follow me. It is a fantastic website. There's so much information there. Um, like you said, at Twitter, at uh, Molly underscore Struvi, same deal there. Um, and yeah, that's that's basically it. And I like to tell people, don't be afraid to, to shoot me a DM, um, even an email, molly.struvi at gmail.com or molly at dev.to i love hearing from people and honestly some of the best messages i get are literally someone will just say hey your tweet today you know that really struck home with me like i i totally can relate to that or thank you so much for tweeting that that was you know that just made my day just little things like that where you're like wow you know my content helps somebody else it helped one person like that i don't know that's kind of what Those of us who are tweeting and and making blog posts, that's what we want. We want it to help and encourage other people. And so, you know, literally a super quick note like that. um, I I love hearing from people. So, you know, don't be shy. Please don't be shy. Reach out um, and, and say hi.
1: I can personally attest to this. When I invited Molly onto the show, she got back to me lightning quick. (laughs) And so (laughs) there's my recommendation right now. It was so great having you on the show, Molly. You shared so much great advice. So listeners, do check out those show notes. They can be found at 5by5.tv. And we'll talk to you next week.